0: Hi, I'm Tess, and this is Blind Crime. With cases like these, you'll never see it coming. Hey guys, welcome back to Blind Crime. With cases like these, you'll never see it coming. I hope you all are doing well, and for those of you who experienced it, survived the snow, the ice, and the rain. If you lived in the South, then you definitely know what I'm talking about. The snow apocalypse and then the major flood of 2024. If you don't live in the South, then you probably don't know what I'm talking about, and you just won't get it. But after being snowed in for almost 10 days, I, for one, was glad to see it gone. And that's coming from a true winter soul. So I hope everyone else enjoyed it while I was here, but is also glad to see it gone. I also wanted to give you guys a little update on my fractured foot. I went and saw the doctor yesterday, and he said that the fracture is stabilized and healing and I can officially come out of the post-op boot. Woo! I've never hated a boot in my life, and I never, ever want to have to go back in one again. I think I'm actually going to have like a ceremonial boot burning, but we'll have to see about that. But with all that being said, let's dig into this week's case. This case is our first ever survival story. I know we've covered cases in the past that have had survivors like the anthill kids, but to me, this is a little bit different. This was one person who was attacked, and despite everything, she found the courage and the will to keep going. There is absolutely no reason she should still be alive, but she is, and it is nothing short of a miracle. This is the case of determination, of courage, and of strength. This is the case of Alison Botha. Alison Botha was born in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, on September 22, 1967. She grew up in Port Elizabeth, attending school at the Collegiate High School for Girls, where she served as head girl. Sounds kind of like a Harry Potter thing, so maybe that's how she survived. After graduating high school, Allison spent some time traveling and seeing the world, but ultimately returned home to Port Elizabeth. She wound up getting a job with a local insurance company, where she eventually became an insurance broker. According to my sources, she enjoyed her job and did quite well at it. By all accounts, Allison's life was that of your typical 20-something. She enjoyed working, she hung out with her friends, she enjoyed game nights and pizza parties. And that's exactly what she was doing the night of December 18th, 1994. Allison had invited some of her friends to her place for a night of games, pizza, and just to catch up and hang out after a long week at work. The girls spent their evening enjoying each other's company, and it was just one of those nights that you really didn't think anything could go wrong. Why would you think anything would go wrong? You're hanging out with your friends, you're having a good time. You're eating your favorite foods and digging in all the juicy gossip. But unfortunately, the good night would quickly come to an end. Several of Allison's friends left, and Allison was going to give one of her other friends a ride home. When coming back to her apartment, Allison realized that she had left a basket of clean clothes in the front floorboard that she meant to carry in before. When she got home, she reached down to grab the basket, but before she could sit back up, her driver's side door swung open and a man's voice told her, move over or I'll kill you. Instinctively, Allison listened to the man and moved over into the passenger seat. The man identified himself as Clinton and said that he only needed to use her car for an hour or so. He said that he didn't want to hurt her, he just needed her car. Clinton drove to the other side of town where he proceeded to pick up another male, who then made Allison get into the backseat of the car. Allison knew at this point that something was very, very wrong. This man did not just want to use her car. These men were going to hurt her, and she knew that she may or not make it out alive. The men drove her car into a remote location on the outskirts of Port Elizabeth to a place where Allison said was just brush and sand. I kind of imagine it like being at the beach where it meets the land and there's trees and brush and sand and dirt. When the car came to a stop, the two men told Allison that they were both going to have sex with her, and they asked if she was going to fight them. Allison was smart, though, and she said no, she was not going to fight the men off as they raped her. Which, statistically, if you're being raped... The likelihood of your attacker killing you is much higher if you actually fight back. So for survival, it is better to just take it. And I know that in so many instances like this, you have the fight, the flight, and the freeze response. And the fight may be what you want to do. But when you're having to decide between this and them potentially killing you, freezing is your best option. In an interview that Allison did with Afternoon Express, she said that in her mind, she hoped that it was only going to be rape. She said that she could disengage or remove herself from that, if that's the only thing they did to her this mindset is probably one of the contributing factors as to how she survived after the men had taken turns raping allison they decided that now they had to kill her it was the only logical thing to do this is where things get really gross and really graphic so trigger warning please listen at your own discretion One of the men tried to suffocate Allison, but she wouldn't stop breathing. When they realized that she was unconscious but still alive, the man who had been picked up by Clinton grabbed a knife and began stabbing Allison in the abdomen. Again. And again. And again. Allison was lying on the ground, her intestines protruding from her stomach. The men thought, surely she's dead now. But then, Allison's leg twitched. The men who stabbed her took the knife again and began slicing away at her throat. Over and over and over. Allison said in an interview that she was mostly conscious during all of this, but she didn't feel any of the pain. Her body was completely numb probably from shock. She said that what she remembers was when they were slicing her throat was seeing the man's arm go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And she couldn't understand what was going on. She knew that she was being hurt. She knew that they were trying to kill her, but her mind just couldn't Put the pieces together. And honestly, how could it from literally hanging out with your friends to being on the side of a road in the middle of nowhere where your throat is being slashed? How does your brain even attempt to connect those dots? All in all, Allison was stabbed 35 times and her throat was cut 16 times. The unnamed man asked Clinton do you think she's dead? Clinton said no one could survive that. So they got into Allison's car and drove away, leaving Allison alone in the dark, lying on a bed of sand and broken glass, bleeding out and slowly dying. All right, guys, we're going to jump into an ad real quick, and then we will be right back. Except Allison wasn't dead. In fact, she had heard everything the men had said before they took off in her car. Allison decided that if she was going to die, she could at least leave the name of the man who originally got into her car. She took her fingers and began writing his name in the sand, along with a message saying, "Love you, Mom." It was in this moment that Allison saw headlights in the distance and a spark of hope began to bring life back into her mutilated body. It took her several tries, but Allison did stand. But she felt something wet and slimy hanging from her stomach. When Allison tried to look down, she realized her head would not move, and the only thing that she could see was the clear, starry night above her. Her throat had been cut so severely that she was all but decapitated. The wet slime she felt hanging from her stomach were her intestines. How this woman was up and walking. How she survived. Allison would later say that the reason the, man, the men stabbed her in the stomach was to destroy her reproductive organs. Luckily for her, the men missed them entirely. Allison made it to the road after many attempts, one hand holding her intestines and the other holding her head upright. Can you imagine having to hold your own head up so that you could see, so that you could survive? My gosh, I'd, I don't think that I could do it. Allison fell back down on the side of the road, and after just a few minutes, a passerby noticed something in the road and stopped. A man, Tian, who was actually vacationing in Port Elizabeth, jumped out of his car and called the local police. While emergency crews were on their way, Tian used his knowledge as a veterinarian to help stabilize and stuff Allison's thyroid back into her throat. What? Allison was rushed to the hospital, where the doctors began assessing and trying to figure out the best way to help her. One of the surgeons said that he had never seen anything like Allison in the 16 years he had been practicing medicine, and he hoped he never had to see anything like it again. Doctors worked tirelessly for hours on end trying to put Allison's broken body back together. Her intestines, of course, were mutilated, and while the men had missed Allison's ovaries, they did cut open her uterus. The amazing thing was that Allison was literally only holding on by a thread. Doctors could not believe that she had survived the attack, let alone got up and walked and had the consciousness to do so. It would be a long while with a lot of unknowns. Would Allison be able to move her head when she woke up? Would she be able to have children in the future? Will her organs and body parts be able to function properly? Would she even wake up at all? It was all unknown. When Allison did wake up from surgery, and she was able to talk to police, she was able to positively identify the men who had attacked her. Come to find out, Clinton was not the real name of the man who had carjacked her. His name was actually Franz Toy, the man who would eventually be picked up by friends, was Tans Kruger, like Freddy Krueger. I'm not trying to make a joke here, but I wonder if that had any influence on why he stabbed her so many times. The two men were locally known as the Ripper Rapists, and because of Allison's survival and ability to identify the two men, the pair were arrested and charged with eight different attacks Across the area of Port Elizabeth. They both pled guilty and were sentenced to life in prison. The story doesn't end here, though. Allison has gone on to speak openly and publicly about her attack. She has said that when the men were stabbing her, she didn't know how to process what was going on. Her body was numb, she couldn't feel anything. But when they began to slice her throat, all she could see was the arm moving left, then right, left, then right, repeat. Repeat, repeat. While she did come in and out of consciousness, she was always acutely aware of what was going on. And while she couldn't make sense of it, she knew that she was being attacked and who was doing it to her and what she needed to do to survive. In the years since her attack, Allison has become a world known speaker and author, having written two books about her attack and the events that have occurred since. The most prolific event that she said was the most wonderful of all was the birth of her children. She stated that part of the attack was to prevent her from having children. She said it was intentional, and the fact that she now has two beautiful children is the best thing that could have come from all of her struggles. She has received many awards, including the Femina Magazine Award for Woman of Courage— and she was also named Port Elizabeth's Citizen of the Year. Allison was one of, if not the, first women to talk openly about rape and sexual abuse in South Africa, and honestly around the world. She has made such an impact on not just women, but men who have been attacked. She is still to this day speaking out and telling her story, making it clear that going through something so horrific doesn't have to make your life horrible, that you can survive and you can make good of the bad in your lives. Lastly, the two men who attacked Allison were both released on parole sometime in 2023. They are under supervision, which I honestly don't know exactly what that means, Like, are they supposed to check in with a parole officer, or do they, like, live in a halfway house? I'm not sure, but either way, I want to know how. How are these two walking pieces of garbage allowed to be anywhere but behind bars? The justice system seems to be so full of holes here lately, with mistrials and murderers being let off on probation. That's a story that will likely be covered in the future, but I just don't understand. I guess I just want to believe in a better justice system. I don't know, but that is the case in the story of Alison Botha and her determination to survive. I want to end this episode with what I hope comes off as encouragement. I don't want it to be anything less than that. If you've been a victim of an attack of sexual or non-sexual nature, I want to tell you that you did not do. Anything wrong. You weren't stupid. You weren't in any way to blame. The outfit you were wearing wasn't too scandalous. The way you looked wasn't you asking for it. You didn't drink too much. You didn't act too flirty. You didn't do anything to make saying no worth being ignored. You didn't do anything to make yourself an easy target. You did nothing wrong. The world is full of evil. And unfortunately, we have to live in that world. You shouldn't have to worry about walking from your car to your front door or from the grocery store to your car or walking your dog or playing with your kids outside the park. We shouldn't have to live in the sphere of something bad happening to us if we're alone or if we aren't surrounded by a group of people, whether we know them or not. I love seeing the videos of girls approaching other girls in stores and being like, oh my gosh, how are you? I haven't seen you in forever to prevent a creep from messing with someone. I think we all need to be like that, men and women alike. We need to protect one another. We need to be there for each other and do whatever we can to step in if needed. And sometimes, you may step in and it be nothing. But other times, you may be saving someone's life. Again, I repeat from the Timothy Ferguson episode, if you see something, say something. I hope that you know that you're stronger than you ever should have had to have been. And that strength is what has kept you going. Whether you faced rape or an attack, or if you're plagued with anxiety and depression or other mental struggles, your strength is what is keeping you around. And I, for one, am so thankful that it is. Not because you're just another listener, but because you matter, and your life is worth living. Despite the bad things in life, despite the things that keep you up at night, you are worthy to be alive, to be loved. And I am thankful that you're alive and I love you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. All right, guys, that is all that I have for this week. So until next time, keep your eyes open.